Hello, we are here today with JD Grapham of Simple Focus, Clear Function, Sifter, Pulse, Ballpark, Temper, Client Flow, Project List, and sure to be many more in the near future. Thanks for coming, JD. Uh, hey. I guess, can you give a quick overview of how on earth you got to be the serial SaaS acquirer and running two agencies and uh, try not to get too lengthy, but uh, help people understand where you're coming from on this? Sure. Um, well, I guess the, the first acquisition I ever completed was um, I'd been running Simple Focus for four or five years, and uh, I looked at a product company called Pulse as a small business that some friends of mine were looking to get rid of, um, and it was a very profitable, uh, healthy little business, even though they hadn't really been putting much energy into it. And... Um, I didn't know much about SaaS at the time. I didn't know what SaaS metrics were. I didn't know the word churn. I didn't, I didn't know anything about SaaS businesses, um, which kind of freed me up to look at it as a business. And I think that's sort of the the uh, the lucky ignorance that I had uh, at that time. And so I looked at it and I said, well, okay, this business has been running on autopilot for three years. And it's been flat. It hasn't been shrinking. It's been getting 10 customers every month and losing 10 customers every month. And the guys that were running it weren't really putting much time or energy into it. And I thought, um, looking back at this business's performance and the fact that there was zero in advertising and it was just kind of selling itself through organic SEO, I was like, it would take a lot of work for me to go screw that up. So it seems like a pretty good investment. So I did it actually put a little TLC into it, grew the business, learned all about what SaaS was, and um, since then, I basically have done that over and over again. Right on, including with Sifter. Including with Sifter, <laughs> yeah, except, um, you know, if I'm being completely honest, Sifter is probably um, completely, it, well, it, it's a completely different situation than Pulse, where Pulse was kind of on autopilot, and, uh, uh, you know, a couple ticks short of being neglected, uh, Sifter, I learned, was actually a completely different beast in that um, you had been uh, this this you had been running Sifter for eight years full time and, and, and had your heart and souls poured into it. And there was not as much low hanging fruit to improving Sifter. Uh, customer support's always been fantastic. The, the code base is, is in great shape. The functionality is all built out and the. And, um, you know, it was just a well taken care of business and it was a completely different, uh, uh, type of deal than pulse. But at the same time, um, it sort of falls into that category of, uh, SAS where, uh, it would be hard to sort of, uh, run it off the tracks, so to speak, because with recurring revenue and metrics that you can look back on over time, um, you know, it would, uh, and you can't, you know, like 600, 900, 1200 customers on a product who, who, who don't know each other, it would be really hard for you to make them all upset at once and have the business just kind of crash and burn into the ground. Whereas some agency friends of mine who run agencies is completely different type of business. And I love it. But, um, an agency has a lot less distributed risk. Some agencies with, you know, a staff of 20 or 30 people have five clients. And if you have a bad couple of months where two or three clients decide that they don't need you anymore, even if it's no fault of your own, it just wasn't good timing for them to be spending $30,000 a month. 
uh, hiring you out for you know marketing websites, um, then your business is in trouble really quick. And so uh, to shore up that risk, I looked to these uh, these SaaS businesses as ways to to sort of stabilize the cash flow for my family of companies. And uh, that's pretty much how I got here, just kind of using common sense. How does that, how does the juggling of not only different businesses, but also t- different sets of different types of businesses play out? Like, how are you able to stay on top of that without going crazy? Um, well, so you're assuming that I don't go crazy, <laughs> <laughs> which which may not be fair, but um, uh before I answer that question, one of the things I will say is that there are, I think, two kinds of people in the world. There's the kind of person who really wants to focus on a thing and give it his or her full attention uh, so they can maximize the the investment of time and even resources. And I've got nothing against that, but that's not me. Um, that sounds really boring to me. Um, and I'm not saying that it should sound boring to anybody that's watching this. Uh, I'm just saying that there are different types of people in the world and you need to figure out which kind you are. Uh, don't let people tell you that you need to focus on one thing if that just doesn't come naturally to you. And what I've learned about myself is what comes naturally to me is um, delegating to uh, you know a team of really smart people and um, you know swooping in and and providing some you know high level guidance and direction and you know vision casting type stuff. And uh, that's where I fit. And so what I'm able to do is, um, you know, paint a picture and a vision for the direction I want the business to go as a whole. And then I can focus on um, each individual product and give it some attention. And then I'll bounce to another product and then I'll dive into that. And then I'll bounce to another product and I'll dive into that. And then I'll switch back to the agency when one of the agencies needs my attention. Um, And that's the... The, the interesting thing, though, is that it's not so much that I'm switching from being, um, uh, you know, a, a SaaS operator to an agency operator. Um, the way the SaaS businesses are structured is that um, the, the simple focus or clear function, they don't own the apps. Um, it's they're separate LLCs. And so when ballpark or sifter needs work done ballpark hires clear function or simple focus what that means is that i'm actually able to be the client um, and so the agents and i get the agency treatment from simple focus or clear function and they treat me like a client and the apps pay the agencies for their work um and so i'm able to you know uh switch between them kind of in that way but one of the things that um, one of the things that I hear a lot is, is agency owners kind of want to get into product business because, ah, you know, clients are obnoxious and they don't get it, man, stuff like that. Uh, but the truth is like, I, I absolutely love, um, doing sales and, and relationship building and, and running the agency business. It is fantastic. Um, and I love running product businesses. I just love them both. I love everything, you know? So it's not really challenging or difficult for me. I do have some time constraints, and I think that having a capable team and being able to delegate is a big part of what makes that uh, something that we can be successful at. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said, too, for just being able to switch gears because 
Sifter was the first time for me in a long time, or really ever, that I've been focused on one project because all I did before that was consulting. And mm -hmm. at the same time, there's times where it can be exhausting focusing on one thing that long, and it's nice to have something to switch gears to. And in the case of running a single app, you can switch from marketing to design to development, mm -hmm. but you still aren't getting away from that one core problem, which for some people is great because it gives you that one thing to just chew on and tear up and really go at it. Uh, but I, yeah, there's definitely situations where it feels like it gets exhausting. It's like, I want something fresh to think about, something to kind yeah. of get perspective because you can really get in a rut creatively if you aren't kind of fiddling around and trying different things in other spaces. So, so well, running a bunch of different products and a couple of agencies for, for me sometimes does feel like the same old, same old, right? I, I mean, I'm just, I'm switching brands. I, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm taking this hat off and I'm putting this hat on. And so I do get in those ruts. And one of the, one of the things that I found a lot of reward in lately is, is I've been writing more again. Um, I was always a writer and then I, I wasn't able to write for a long time. Uh, and exercising that muscle surely helps reinvigorate me creatively. Um, I also like doing projects around the house. Um, you know, those, those are, those help me get over the creative ruts too. I mean, sometimes just getting out from in front of the computer and, um, and away from work is, is, is what it takes. Yeah. So looking at SaaS apps as a buyer, somebody who's seen a lot of SaaS apps, um, reviewed them, and as product people, it's easier to focus on the code, the actual interface and that kind of thing. But as a buyer who's theoretically buying strategically and uh, with well, you know healthy finances in mind, what what are kind of the the red flags to you, or the things that are, oh this is going to be a great business? There's a lot of opportunity for me to help improve it, grow it. Uh, sure. What, what are you looking for out there? Um. Well, uh, I'll start with the red flags. The the red flags for me as a buyer aren't necessarily the same red flags that every buyer is going to have. But for me personally, uh, one of the red flags I watch for is is uh, someone who's uh, trying to get out of the business for the wrong reasons. Um, and and for me, one of those reasons is just uh, they want to cash out and, 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 and start something new and different, and they never really finished what they started. Yeah. Um, because maybe they just felt like they it was going to be too, take too long to finish what they started, and they want to give it to somebody else to, to do that. Um, instead, what I look for are people who are getting out for the right reasons, and the right reasons are, you know, in your case, this is a really good reason. You wanted to kind of focus on some health issues and, and refocus on your family and, and sort of ch make a change to your personal lifestyle. And I think that's a really uh, admirable reason to make a difficult decision of selling a, you know, a stable business that's done a lot for you and your family. Um, and it wasn't an easy decision for you, and it shouldn't have been. It can't be if it's the right reason, you know. Um, I mean, it's, it's maybe a simple decision, but not an easy decision. Yeah, it took about you know, two years to really really finally make the decision and pull the trigger exactly and 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 frankly that's what's happened over and over again pulse was um not an easy decision for the guys uh they it was kind of uh frustrating for them to to let go of a business that was bringing in good profit with minimal effort but um at the end of the day one of the guys had a, a professional opportunity to you know um uh, pursue his 
career as a as a sort of um, development director and 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 get a good fat salary and focus on that for a while and he was moving anyway and then the other guy was like going into the ministry full time um sometimes it's as simple as hey we we were running one or two or, or two or three products and one really just commanded all of our attention and we needed to focus on that so uh, we kind of wanted to get rid of all distractions and um and then when they when they really care about when a, when a seller really cares about what happens to the product after they're done with it, that's a good indication that they've actually put some TLC into it. That's a good indication that you're not buying a piece of junk, yeah. right? Um, if they're just selling it to the highest bidder, um, then you, it kind of tells you uh, possibly a, a lot about their motivations, not just for when they're selling it, but when they're running it as a business and and that means that you're going to inherit some headaches um, with the way that they built it because they didn't necessarily build it to be sustainable. They built it to accomplish uh, something a little bit different. Um, yeah, I mean, those are some things. As, as, as far as getting a little bit more tactical, though, um, there's, uh, there's an interesting thing that happens when, when, when buyers place a value on a software product. Uh, they place a premium on growth. And they like to see that sharp growth, you know. And um, boy, that's not something I'm interested in right now, <laughs> as much as stability, uh, because I'm coming at this from someone who, 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 who isn't, um, you know, how do you say, you know, loaded out the wazoo. I've been really successful in business and been very fortunate, but um, you know, I can't just buy apps indiscriminately and lose my investment. Um, so what I do is I look for apps that have grown and grown and plateaued and then grown a little bit and plateaued and that have proven that they have a market fit. They have sort of found their natural size that it's easy for them to be at. And, um, and that tells me a lot about, you know, what the performance of the investment, if you will, is going to be. And, um, I'm taking it from a much more conservative perspective when I, when I value a business. So, I actually value stable, secure business higher than I would a, a, a growing business because the growth is risky. Um, you try and you try and you pay a premium for that growth, and if the growth stops, that premium you paid wasn't worth it. Exactly, and that's the thing. It's like I'd rather pay uh, something that I know uh, what the what the payback is going to look like. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I, frankly, I'm, I'm you know I'm more interested in that. It's not that uh, I disagree that the premium on a growth is, you know, right. Um, it's just that that's not what I'm looking for, and it's kind of a yellow flag if something's growing. It's like, well, they probably want too much for it, or um, if they don't, I, I don't know exactly what I'm getting myself into. You know, um, I, I I look for people who have a voice in the in the industry who have shared what they've learned. Um, who have built up a lot of goodwill and a reputation in the industry. Um, frankly, your reputation when I buy a business from you matters a great deal um, because it makes the transaction and the contract simpler. Um, the, the best way to put it is if you've got, like for example, you, Garrett, if you've got a good reputation in the industry, then it would not be in your best interest to pull one over on me. 
because uh, that would undermine, you know, what you've been building over the years. And so you've got a lot more incentive to to be upfront about any problems and known issues. And it lets me take a little bit of risk that other buyers may not take. And I can actually close a deal faster and make it simpler because I literally am doing a lot of it on trust. Yeah. Um, you know, all the all the little CYA details I'm not so worried about. Um, if if I'm working with someone who comes through a referral, who's been, you know, who's got a heart of gold, who's got a good reputation that they want to protect in the, in the industry. And I'm doing the same thing and I'm, you know, not perfect, make mistakes every day, but, uh, am, you know, really focused on making sure that I'm somebody that, you know, when I interact with somebody new, I, they know what they're going to get. Well, and, and too, now that it's all said and done, it's, it's very easy to say that, you know, it was a pretty unflinching, uh, I mean, cause you and I basically sorted out the details over text message with Sifter. I, right? yeah. I mean, and I was like, you know, I was, okay, that's less than I wanted, but I feel good about him. I feel good about it going to him. I had made a few phone calls and, and checked around to some mutual friends and they all said good things. I was like, all right, this is a, a discount from the previous offer, but I'm comfortable with it. Went forward with it. And, uh, in hindsight, after the deal was done, how much simpler it was to do, uh, you know, every little detail is like, I did not have one ounce of regret, even though we took a bit of a hit in the, the revenue uh, or the, the value of the business. Um, and the ease of closing the deal and the fact that you and I trusted each other and weren't screwing around and trying to insert every little, you know, clause into the deal, I think made a world of difference. Uh, because definitely the first deal, the one for us that uh, we ended up having to walk away from on closing day, the reason we walked away was because so many of those things kept happening and there wasn't mm -hmm. trust. And it got to the point where it was like, look, you know, what we've done enough. This is, it was kind of just the straw that broke the camel's back. So it was definitely a much better experience. And I think there was benefit to both sides. Would have loved a higher price, but it was all... In the end, it was all good. Well, so um, I, I will say this about uh, your character personally and just your whole approach to this. Um, and, and, and I want the people who are listening to this to hear this about you. Um, there is a pretty standard thing in the accounting world um, that, that you brought to our attention after the deal was closed, basically. Uh, where uh, you, on your own, without any prompting from us, went through and ran a query of the annual. It was monthly because we didn't have annual. But yeah. So, sorry, yeah, you ran through the the monthly uh, subscriptions, and um, and you said, all right, so you, as the new owner, have to service customers who have paid in advance of the coming month, mm -hmm. which means that. In accounting, in the accounting world, and, and purely like for accuracy and 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 being really um, uh, clean bookkeeping's sake, uh, which 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 meant you actually sent us a check uh, uh, for for the uh, the the accounts that we'd have to service over the rest of the month for money that you had collected because of the closing date, mm -hmm. and I thought that was a really classy thing to do. And of course, we accepted it. <laughs> you know, I, I had with my hand so classy, out, you were going to say no. Yeah, no, uh, <laughs> no, it was a super classy thing, but but I wasn't going to say no anyway. Um, 
the but uh, you know it's it's one of those things that that shows Garrett that um, you you thought about Sifter as a business and you understand business, um, but more than that. Um, you were really concerned with making sure that I felt good about the deal, that the customers were going to be taken care of, that everything was above board 100%. And I think that, that that's like, that's been an inspiration to me, like looking at, at, at uh, you know, how you handled your business and how you handle that transaction. Um, you know, it's, it's certainly been something I, you know, I look up to you for that. And not just that, but the whole, the whole deal, the way you handled everything. Yeah, well, and, and I feel like out of it, the fact that, you know, every time you and I have been in the same city, we can meet up for beers. Like, I can't imagine there's a lot of times, and I'm sure they, they exist, but there's not a lot of transactions where people buy a business and then they still want to meet up for, you know, have some drinks and, and talk over and all that kind I, of stuff. So I always, I always want to do you, it. That may be, I just, I wouldn't have expected that. So it's definitely, it, there's a lot of value in that, I think. Yeah. And uh, it's something to, uh, for anybody looking to sell their business to really consider because there's... Mm-hmm you get somebody who's just too business oriented and there's not kind of some inherent trust it it's at least to me now doubly so raise some red flags about whether it's the right move and that kind of thing so yeah i don't see you know I, I yeah i don't see any reason to um to uh to not uh want to have a relationship with someone that you bought or sold a business to or from um but, you know, it depends on the individuals, you know, maybe I'll buy a business one day from somebody that I don't really respect. But right now I've got uh, enough businesses that I'm buying and, and running that I can be really selective. And so, you know, one of the boxes I want to check off is, is this, is this a good person? Is this somebody that I want to have a relationship with? Because, um, heck, you're still in the Slack channel <laughs> or you're still in the Slack I account. I wonder when y'all are going to kick me out. I don't want to kick you out because that's, that's. <laughs> That's the way that I get to chat with you, mm-hmm. like one to one with private conversations. And I think it's so funny that uh, you know I just I just uh, uh, picture your like Apple Watch vibrating or something when you're in a meeting and says you know here's the uh, code deployed to Sifter and you pull out your phone real quick and you're like oh guys you forgot about the such and so. Not quite that uh, bad, but you know I want to make sure that everybody's everybody's good on some of those uh, new features no, and all that kind of stuff. No, it's been a blast having you chime in every now and then. It it it, it really feels in a lot of ways like uh you know like you're still part of the family. We I feel bad some days that because uh, it's not typical. You're the only person I've ever bought a business from who who you know lasts more than thirty days you know in communication with us, and it's just. Check out. Well, it's just because we don't mind and you don't mind, it doesn't seem. Um, but, you know, uh, as soon as you're ready to turn off the notifications, I mean, you certainly can, but I'd love to be able to, to chat with you. We have I, to figure I scale out. it back. I've been a little less responsive and some of that because yeah. I don't want to be uh, too, uh, not too much helicopter parenting in there. But uh, Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I don't want to uh, I don't want to kick you out because I want you to decide when you're ready, Garrett. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like maybe we should send you a check. <laughs> like your old staff or something, but in in all seriousness, the you know one of the things that I I, I like about the deals that I've done is that the uh, the founders are typically like unable to give it the focus anymore, and so we do make it easy for them to like um, you know hand it over to us, check out because we are you know we've got a really competent team and um, 
and I'm buying uh, products that that have a similar to you know the back office stuff, the, you know, uh, with regards to you know the hosting or the technology, mm-hmm. and um, trying to uh, trying to get everything on Postmark, just just because I love Postmark and I love you guys and the Wildbit team. Um, trying to get everything on onto uh, less, you know, more and more and more similar stacks. Yeah. Which which. Yeah, well, for me, it, there's a lot of benefit in being able to take over apps easier and get the original founders uh, moved on to the next thing in their in their careers, you know, so that um, they're not uh, feeling like they've got to hang around too much. I mean, with you, it's been fun, but it's certainly been the exception. Having someone as, as engaged as you seem to, um, you know, be, like being. Yeah, for sure. Um, so not to talk too much about the Sifter deal, and ideally cover some more ground. One of the other things I really wanted to touch on, and I know that you've seen this, you've experienced it, you've been on the far side of it, is a lot of the fear, and I had this, this fear just dominated my mind through all my health issues, was that if you neglect a SaaS app and you're not updating it and releasing new features, that it's going to just shrivel up and die overnight. And I know that's not the case now. I still have a hard time believing it, but it's, it's the truth. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of your experiences with that, either on specific apps or just in general across the apps? Sure, yeah. I will tell you that um, the first several products that I bought, I would, um, I would uh, get email notifications on every support ticket, and uh, I would... Well, let me start by by clarifying this for anybody who's listening who doesn't necessarily uh, know this. Uh, I have you know the the staff of Simple Focus and Clear Function running the day today to uh, of the apps. I, I do engage with them, but I am more of a business owner um, than I am the operator personally of the apps. Um, so what that means is we've got you know a guy that handles or a couple of different guys that handle email support, right? So I would um, I would subscribe to email notifications and have the Twitter account on my phone and um, and I would have uh, daily, um, you know, uh, I would log into Bear Metrics 10 times a day <laughs> and uh, I would get daily, you know, bank balances and I was just constantly looking at all the different metrics. And it was uh, really overwhelming as, as I went from two to three to four to five to six products. And, um, and I was constantly checking those metrics because, you know, it, it was fun, but also because um, I was worried that something, you know, might happen, especially when you take over a new app. And, you know, uh, as, as happened today with, uh, with ClientFlow, um, we didn't have any notifications set up for the uh, certificate, security certificate. And so it expired. And good friend Ian Landsman tweeted at me that the security certificate was expired for ClientFlow. So we fixed that pretty quick. But little things like that happen. You think, oh my god, it's going to fall off a cliff and die, you know? And it doesn't because uh, that's not how churn works. We had like Pulse went down uh, several years ago um, for like thirty six hours, and Garrett, we didn't lose. We, I mean, we may have lost one customer, but like statistically speaking, we didn't lose any customers. You know, there was no blip um, in, in in almost a day and a half of just being down. Um, well, they can't cancel when it's offline, right? No, absolutely not. Yeah, um, but we did get some support emails, a bunch of panicky people, but they really appreciated that we responded right away, 
And we said, uh, so, you know, some, something stinky has hit the fan and we're trying to figure it out. Do you want to know what it was? It's so sad. Uh, the data center unplugged to the wrong server. This was like right after we took over Pulse, you know, it was like within weeks or a couple of months. And, and so the troubleshoot that it's offline, it just disappears. The, the, exactly. You, you start calling the data center and then, and then you get the previous owners on the phone and you're like, uh, what was the, what was the number on that server at the data center? And like all of a sudden it's not a number that anybody recognizes and, and some guy like shows up to work at 8 a.m. the next day and they're like mentioned it to him. And they, he says, oh, I think I know what happened. <laughs> With 30 seconds, the server had booted up and the app was like just running. <laughs> it was like, wow. Seriously. So, you know, you, you worry about stuff like that when taking over an app from somebody because there, there are always those hijinks, right? Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, man, churn and customers, they, they, they sign up for a product because they get the value out of it and they, they run their business on it and they don't have a lot of incentive or desire to stop paying you. Mm-hmm. They have desire to pay you because they use your product, yeah. you know, and that was a really extreme example. And it was like the first app I ever took over and it was a memorable experience, but nothing that bad has happened since then because we kind of got better at what we're doing. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, but that fear nags at you, even though you know it's irrational. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you trust in the formula, you trust in the math and the churn metrics and things like that. So, you know, it's one of those things, you, you don't want to trivialize it. And, you know, we are kind of laughing, but at the same time, it's, you realize, in hindsight, you laugh because it's like, oh, ha, ha, you know, we're stressing out, sweating bullets that day. And now in hindsight, oh, ha, ha somebody unplugged the server. Um but when you look at the big picture, it's kind of like you said, they signed up for an app, they want the value. And as long as they know you care and you're working hard, if you aren't uh-huh. constantly having problems and proving that you're incapable of handling it, then uh-huh. people are going to generally give you the benefit of the doubt to let, give you the opportunity to do the right thing. A few people might yeah. not, but even yeah. so, even if a handful of people leave, um, you're, the business is going to stay healthy and keep on chugging. You have to really mm-hmm. prove that you're incompetent to make people want to leave a product that they believe yeah. in. I'd say that 90% of the angry customer support emails we get across all six or seven of the apps are from people who think we're some big faceless corporation. Yeah. And we're not. It's, you know, there, there are like 30 people here, small business America, economic engine that powers this country and all that, you know, um, paying taxes and, and uh, showing up to work and going home and being with our friends and family. And one of the things that I do for, so we have different, different apps um, with different payments and everything, right? So for the apps that have credit card required up front, and um, uh, we will charge you after your free trial is up. Mm-hmm. One of the things that happens is that, um, people get a credit card statement with, with your phone number on it for customer support. Yep. And they're going down there, American Express or whatever, and they see this phone number and they're like, what is pulseapp.com? I don't remember signing up for that. And they'll call you and they'll be like angry because they think you're some mega software corp or something, you know? And um, the phone number I put on those apps is my personal cell phone. Yeah. 
And and let me tell you how I answer my cell phone because when when I was starting out in my career, uh, when I was younger, I would answer the cell phone like a consultant. This is JD. How can I help you? <laughs> right. And now um, that I've sort of got a little bit more comfortable in my own skin and I know who I am and I don't care, right? I'll answer the phone because I'm from Tennessee. Mm. Hello. <laughs> Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Well, you you must be I bet you're a small business owner. Are you a small business owner? Yeah, let me t- All right. So this is my cell phone. My name's JD. I'm the owner of Pulse. Yeah, you got the right number. No, I gave my cell phone because uh well, yeah, yes ma'am. Uh-huh. Well, I, well, okay. So I put my cell phone down there, not an 800 number because we're, you know, I I want somebody who's concerned about credit card statements to get the boss. And I'm the boss. I'm the owner. And I just wanted to let you know that, yes, ma'am, it's it's pulseapp.com. It's cash flow management software. You or maybe somebody at your company, you got any employees? Yeah, three employees. I bet I bet I bet one of your employees signed up with your company card, didn't they? Oh, you do recognize you do remember. Okay, yeah, that cash flow thing. Yes, ma'am. All right, well, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna get Caitlin to give you a refund on that because y'all didn't use it. Yeah, I checked and I looked, and sure enough, you hadn't logged in. So we're gonna get you a refund and we're gonna downgrade you to a free account so this doesn't happen again. But I'd love for you to give it more another try. Yes, man. All right. I look forward to it. Email support if you ever have any questions. All right. You know, and <laughs> that's just how I handle it, right? Yeah. And it's and and what's great is they go from like angry to like oh, you're a small business person just like me, mm-hmm. you know? And they go from angry to, like, on your side. And I've had them insist that I didn't have to refund them. Yeah. Well, you don't need to give me the refund. No, no, we should have canceled. It's not a big deal. Like, and they answer the phone. They're like, excuse me, I'm trying to reach hmm, pulseapp.c because it gets truncated on the credit yeah, card. Yeah. <laughs> and they actually say, I thought this was some big megacorp no, you're a small business person just like me, <laughs> you know, and they Google you while you're on the phone with them. And they're like, oh, you seem like a nice guy. You're from Tennessee. I'm in Nashville. You know, the next thing you know, you know, you're chatting it up with them. But uh, I think it's being real is the way to go, man. It's uh, well, it, it. That is one of those things that I think so many people are afraid of being small against mm-hmm. a big corporation. They're afraid of how people will perceive it, that they're you know, fly by night or something like that. And that's never the case. Like people are always like, Oh wow. They, they feel like they can relate and all of a sudden it becomes real. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Okay. So we're kind of getting to the tail end here, but there's a couple things I still want to touch on. One is, uh, you've seen all these apps. What are some of the good and bad things that, you've learned about apps where people underinvest or overinvest and that, you know, going through due diligence or whatever you mm-hmm. see and you're like, Oh wow, it would really be, you know, would really be more impressive if they had done more with this or that. So this is uh this is not something that developers want to hear, <laughs> but you need to keep your books clean. Yeah. Like it's so simple to do it the right way. It's way simpler to do it the right way than it is the wrong way. And that's the that's a lesson you'll learn. Get a bookkeeper. Like I'm not talking about like bench.com. If you want to do that, that's fine. But like get you some guy, some 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 lady, some whoever who's a CPA 
down the street from where you live that you can go talk to five or six times a year. Yeah. They're going to do a couple things for you. Number one, they're just going to make sure that your books are clean. Number two, they're going to be like, they're going to be looking at your business and your numbers and they're going to be able to like talk you down off the ledge because they work with business owners and freelancers and, 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 and small business people day in and day out. And it's not, you don't really need somebody who gets SAS to be your bookkeeper or your accountant. What you need somebody who is, is what you need is somebody who gets accounting. Mm-hmm. Let them be your accountant, yep. right? So that's one thing that, that just makes a big difference. And I can look at, uh, so when I, when I kick the tires on a product to evaluate, um, I've looked at 30, 40, 50 page prospectuses, and I've looked at uh, just a bare metrics login, mm-hmm. right? And everything in between, right? There are like two or three screens in bare metrics that I care about. Um, and I want to get verification that you're, you're not lying about your, your, your income and expenses. Yeah. So, you know, bank statements end up being part of my due diligence, but... Um, that's at the tail end. What I want to see are clean books with, like, if you can send me a P&L for the last three years, I'm good to go. Mm-hmm. That, the business side, I get it. And then I like to see the growth in revenue over time. And that's a screenshot I can get from Barometrics, right? Or you can just put me in Barometrics. It's fine. And I like to see a couple other things like churn or whatever. And then, like, I want to know about the founder as an individual. I want to know if they've got a good reputation in the business, if they blog, if they put themselves out there, if they've got a good reputation, I want to know who they know so that I can do some references. Um, and, uh, and then I want to know what the tech stack is. And, um, and, and the references help me understand whether or not you know, the, the, the site was going to be built well or not. Because is this the kind of person who builds crappy software? Or is this the kind of person who like puts care and attention into it, right? Um, and so it's really all about the, the, those are the big things I look at. Then when it comes time for due diligence, I'm going to ask some really basic questions. So does the app crash randomly? (laughs) Do you need to reboot the server every three days to keep it up? Right. Are there memory leaks? And that's less and less of a problem these days, but man, some of these older rails apps, like especially on two, um, had some memory leak problems and like, you know, just like you just had to reboot the app to get it to come back up. Stuff like that, right? You got any major problems like that? Um, and then I like to look at support tickets. I want to see how support was handled, what kind of questions come in. Mm-hmm. And I spot checked the last six or nine months mm-hmm. of support tickets. Yep. Um, so, you know, you want to be good at support. You want to have a fairly modern tech stack, but you don't necessarily need to be on the latest and greatest of anything, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'd rather have, um, I'd rather have a snappy um, MVC Rails app with good caching than uh, you know a single page app on React. You know, just because it's it's not that there's anything wrong with React. It's just um, simpler product to operate and um, one page app single page apps are great but like nothing wrong with a little page refresh if it's snappy you know Um, and then one thing that really matters to me a great deal is I'm not going to buy anything that's fugly 
Um, and it's not just about uh, being a designer myself or a snob in any way, but um, I really care about the user experience of a product that says a lot as to what its traction is going to be. And also, frankly, says a lot about what the code's going to be like, too. Yeah. Um, because if it looks like the design was outsourced to India, guess what? <laughs> it probably was, along with the code. Yeah. And there's not necessarily, like, inherently a problem with that. Uh, it's just that I prefer to take over things that have had... Um, uh, a smaller set of eyes on them, someone who had to live with the code they wrote mm -hmm. and, um, you know, and, uh, something that was probably going to be easier to maintain with less eyeballs on it. It's going to be easier to take over. Yeah. Um, you write code and, a lot differently when you're the one answering the emails about it and mm -hmm. uh, implementing the bug fixes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and, uh, and so those are the big things I look at as far as, um, People over in investing in some areas, over investing and in staying current with the latest technology. Um, you know that tells me you're an engineer. <laughs> you know, you know, which is great. It's going to tell me that you're an engineer. Um, but I like um, I like buying products from people who um, understand the whole business, and it's going to be a healthier in healthier shape if that's the case. Um, there's nothing wrong with the newest technology, and there's nothing wrong with the older technologies either. It's really just about what kind of shape it's in and how well maintained it is. That's important. Mm -hmm. um, but I see, I see a lot of products where um, a developer will spend too much energy trying to get traction in marketing um, or whatever, and so they'll waste a bunch of money spending spending on marketing or advertising, and it's not working. Mm -hmm. um, and they don't know when to cut it off. And so, uh, you know, you'll see like they'll try something for three months and they'll say, ah, wasted a bunch of money. And then six months later, they'll go try it again and they'll waste four or five grand on AdWords. And they're just trying to teach themselves marketing, you know. And I we think. We're done talking about Sifter. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, uh, that's actually Sifter and, and, and pretty much every other app I've bought. Um, there's, there's a difference, though, um, in the type of seller, Garrett. There's the seller who doesn't have, um, you know, uh, capital behind their product, and there's the seller who, who does. And more often, the seller who has capital behind their product was less efficient with their marketing dollars because it wasn't their money, and it didn't hurt them to spend ten grand because they're like, well, I got 18 months to figure it out if I spend ten grand a month. Right. Yeah. Whereas if you spend 10 grand on marketing, you know, that's 10 grand that you don't get to take home at the end of the day. Yeah. Right. And, you know, so you're a lot more efficient with it and you're willing to turn it off quicker. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and that's the problem. So I see a lot of energy getting spent on that. And that group doesn't really drive up the value of the business at, at all if it's not working. Yeah. Um, if anything, it drives it down because you're losing some of that discretionary. Uh, well, I, I, I got ways to spend that when I'm negotiating on price because <laughs> I know that I'm going to be able to bring it in and, um, make it run more efficiently because of yeah. the infrastructure I've got with the staff and all, and, uh, the ability at some point to capitalize on cross promotions between the apps. 
um, and the audience that I have across six apps. Is, I you know, waiting for you to do something with that. But... I'm working on something. All right. you, you, know what it, you know what it is. We can't talk about it. We can't talk about it on the show. It's not we'll done we'll yet. We'll see. I'm waiting. Um, yeah, so I've got some plans for cross promotion and 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 setting up a little. Uh, uh, you know, we're working on that. That'll be probably middle to the end of 2017 before it starts to really, yeah. before start to really put that out there and give it give it the old college try. Good deal. Well, we're kind of getting long here. Is there? Uh, do you have any uh, parting? words of wisdom or advice for budding entrepreneurs creating SaaS apps? Um, I guess it is a lot harder to start a SaaS app and get it to a place where it can sustain itself. But once you get there, it's worth it. So um, don't give up too quickly. Don't give up over one, two, or even three years. These things take years to develop. And when they get to that point, uh, they truly are worth something. There are people who will buy them from you. Um, and, you know, even something that's just making enough to maybe make a living for you, uh, when you get ready to sell it, you know, even a modest little app is enough to pay off your house and get you completely out of debt. And so if we're talking about, you know, someone who's in their 20s or 30s um, busting their butt and getting impatient and giving up after two or three years, don't do that. Go four, five, six years, and then you got something. And you really got something. You just got to kind of get one customer at a time, earn their trust, build a good product, uh, make friends with your customers, um, Get your voice out there. Talk about what you're doing. Share it. And um, eventually you'll go from 1 to 5 to 10 to 20 to 25 to 30 to 35 to 45 to 55. You're If you keep doing that, you're eventually going to get to 200, 300, 400 customers. And you've got a business that's worth more than your house. And you can sell it if you want to. Or you can work 10 hours a week if you want to. Yeah. You know, Or, you know. Yeah, or you can, you know, do it again and then and then, you know, um, run both of them, you know. Yeah. It, but it does take time. Run, building a SaaS app up does take time. It's nothing is an overnight success. I um, I'm probably about three years away from my overnight success at this point. <laughs> I've been doing it for seven years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I would I would I would give that advice. Um, and then I would um, I would I will, I'll end with this. Uh. Decide for yourself what success is. Don't let anybody tell you that you have to take outside investment. Don't let anybody tell you that you shouldn't take outside investment. They're completely different animals, whether you want to bootstrap or get venture capital or do a, you know, a startup incubation seed hatchery germination project like they have at every downtown incubator type thing. Decide for yourself. Look at the pros and cons of each and just use your own critical thinking skills to come up with what works for you. Just be yourself. Yeah, that is absolutely. That is so, so true. So true. All right. Well, this is great. I appreciate it, of course, as always. And uh, thanks. 
Yeah, thank you, Garrett. Uh, before we say goodbye to everybody, yeah, Uh-oh. um, we didn't talk about. See, I'm from Tennessee, yeah. Me- Memphis, Memphis, Tennessee specifically, and and you're from Texas, mm-hmm. and. I have a soft place in my heart for Texas. I was born there, but I live in Tennessee now, and not just Tennessee, but Memphis, Tennessee. And um, we're going to have to I, – I need you to have the barbecue conversation with me. So, so is barbecue beef or pork? I know my answer. But not being a huge barbecue connoisseur, I'm not sure it's going to mesh. For me, it's beef. Mm. Brisket. It's brisket. Brisket. Texas brisket. Brisket served on wax paper. Brisket served on wax paper. I, I love a good brisket. And um, there, real barbecue is pork. Mm-hmm. I want to go ahead and put that out there mm-hmm. just so that everybody understands the right answer. Yeah. Um, specifically it's the dry rub Memphis style, uh, barbecue sauce. And this is important stuff. So I have to share it. Okay. And then we'll, we'll be done. But barbecue sauce is for people who don't know how to cook meat. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Dry rub is the way to go. Close second is a good Texas brisket. All right. I'll take that. So as I, I haven't been to Memphis yet, so I, I, I don't have the frame of reference. Well, come on. I'll cook. I'll cook um, ribs for you in my backyard. The invitation is open, and if anybody listening um, wants wants my recipe for dry rub ribs, the Memphis way, the right way, hit me up on Twitter and just say, "Hey, what's your recipe for ribs?" I'll get it to you. But just like they shouldn't take advice about whether to bootstrap or get funding, they probably shouldn't. They should choose their own barbecue. That's not true. That's actually, that's, that's not how barbecue works. <laughs> this has been a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, of course, man. Thanks for being on. All right. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Yeah.